Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that every drop of it is good for us. Uh, every part of us points us towards the glory of our God as revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, every bit of your word, Lord, is for us to desire greatly and to long to grow under. So we pray that that's what would happen today. That we would be growing under the words of God breathed out to us and that through me you would, you would just expose the truth of it there, Lord, and nothing more. Expose the truth of it in a way that speaks into our hearts by your Spirit's power and brings us to be more like Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a moment in your life when your expectations weren't met but were instead exceeded? I think we can usually, like, like if I say, can you think of a moment when your expectations weren't met? It's easy because you think of the negatives, right? Like, it's, it's, they're, they're much simpler to come up with. Um, but, you know, that time where something turned out better than you could have imagined. Maybe it was a time when someone came through for you in a big way. Maybe it was that new product that actually performed better than you were expecting. That new movie you went to that you were thinking would be a bit rubbish, but then it turned out, whoa, Avatar is actually genuinely so bad. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's actually really old, so I'm out of date there. But anyway... Um, you know, maybe that birthday or Christmas present where you're expecting one thing and you're excited about that and then you open it and you're like, that's not the thing. That's better than the thing. Um, when I was thinking about this this week, uh, it's relevant to what we're looking at today. Uh, there was this one example of this happening in my life that really leapt to mind uh, when, I, when I sat down to consider it. Um, when I was a, a teenager, uh, I was uh, uh, with a group on a, a school band trip from the, from the old Middleton District School. Uh, and, and one evening, uh, I think it was at the end of a long bus trip, we went into a McDonald's. Um, could have been Hungry Jack's, but I remember there being a clown. Uh, it's not important. And being young and ridiculous John at the time, as, to, as opposed to slightly older and ridiculous John now, uh, I decided I was going to order a, a soft serve ice cream in the most kind of show-off-ish, fairly ridiculous way that I could think of. Um, my plan was to, to treat it like an old Western saloon. Um, and I was going to walk in with, I think it was like, I don't think they were even 50 cents at the time, like 20, 25 cents, something like that. Um, but I was going to walk in with my coin and, and like slam it down on the counter and say, I'll take one of your finest, largest soft serves, please. Um, because I still said please. I, I haven't matched for a few years. Um, and, and so I did. I did exactly that. Uh, and, and I expected that the result would be a standard soft serve cone, hopefully delivered by a relatively entertained member of staff and not an offended one. Uh, that, that was what I was aiming for. A and I watched as this McDonald's checkout person uh, went above and beyond. Uh, it was just amazing. Like, they were just seeing how much they could top. Like, have you seen, have you guys been to McDonald's? Like, like they're, they're these little cone things, they're not very big. And they were, like, just seeing how much they could go like this underneath the handle thing whilst they added more and more on top of the cone. In the end, what I received was probably four to five times the height of an average soft serve cone. It was phenomenal. My breath was taken away. Like, you know, think of like a foot height of ice cream for 20 cents. Like, amazing. Expectations blown out of the water, right? Um, today, we're coming at just four verses of Luke's Gospel. Uh, but they constitute this really significant moment, this significant statement from Jesus. Uh, our context 
is that Jesus has been teaching the crowds uh, of general people uh, and also kind of sparring with the religious leaders in the temple. We've spent our last two weeks in what we've called the first two of five challenges of the king, uh, where the powers of this world, the powers that be, have sought to undermine Jesus. Uh, first, as the chief priests, the elders and the scribes sought to undermine his authority, uh, and then as the Sadducees attempted to undermine the hope of the resurrection. But in today's passage, Jesus strikes back. This is, this is Jesus taking the more proactive, the, the more offensive foot. Uh, and as you might expect, given we're in a series called Luke the Limitless Gospel, he takes their expectations of the Messiah and he blows them out of the water even more so than a foot high ice cream. He takes everything that they had been expecting God's chosen one to be and he shows that he is so very different and so very much more than that. You see, the Jews had been expecting the Christ to come. That's true, they'd been expecting him, but what they were expecting and what Jesus, the true Christ, is and was, were worlds apart. Jesus challenged their messianic expectations and as he does so, we get a clear indication of the glory of the true Christ in this passage. First thing we see is that the Christ is not just the son of David. The Messiah that was expected by the Jews was essentially a new David, uh, a new king in the line of David who would come and defeat the enemies of Israel and he would set up a new Davidic kingdom. Uh, historically, Israel, if you don't know, had had no greater king than King David in the Old Testament. Uh, no one had sat on the throne greater than him. There'd been a long period just before Jesus when no one at all had sat on the throne. But David's heirs had all been, relatively speaking, significant disappointments. Uh, and David had been the best. But when David was on the throne, Israel experienced a brief period of prosperity and expansion when David was on the throne, the enemies of Israel were defeated. The borders of Israel expanded and the people of Israel were united in a way that just wasn't true at any point in history after that moment. Or before it, actually. Uh, so they were expecting the true descendant of David, uh, a king like David, who would rule over Judea and bring them to power. You understand? This was their Messiah. In short, they expected the military Messiah, a new David who would save them from the Romans, essentially. But Jesus steps out against the experts and the old, uh, the experts in the Old Testament. He doesn't step out against the Old Testament, uh, and asks, "How can they say that the Christ is David's son?" And then he quotes Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is worth a read, which is why we had it read out just before. But it opens with these words, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus asks, how is he David's son if David calls him my Lord? Now, this isn't uh, so straightforward to understand. Uh, what Jesus isn't saying is that he's not the descendant of David. Uh, we can say that pretty clearly because Jesus was the descendant of David. It is painstakingly pointed out in Scripture, uh, tested by the whole Bible. The Old Testament looked forward to the descendant of David coming. It's prophesied more than once, uh, multiple times, in fact, 
the New Testament, especially the Gospels, really hammer the fact that Jesus is the heir of David. Uh, they, especially with the genealogies, right, that we saw at the start of Luke and we see one at the start of Matthew that hammer this fact, not just this fact, but they hammer that Jesus is descended from David and there is the, therefore is the heir of the Davidic covenant. Um, and moreover, uh, not very long ago at all in this gospel in Luke, uh, we had met uh, the, the blind beggar. Do you mind the blind, remember the blind beggar of Jericho? And, and Jesus healed him of his blindness and he said, your faith has made you well. And we asked, what was his faith in? Well, what did he cry out? He cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus affirmed that faith in him as the son of David. The point of Jesus' question is not to show that he's not descended from David but to shatter the expectation that the Messiah would just be the new David, or even just David plus. Psalm 110 is this intensely messianic psalm. Um, a psalm that looks forward to the coming chosen one, the Savior. Uh, the coming descendant of David. But Jesus points out that when David, who wrote the psalm, speaks about the Messiah, he calls him my Lord. Jesus says, or David says rather, the Lord said to my Lord. The first the Lord there, if you've got uh, an ESV and probably a number of other Bibles, you'll see it's all written in like small caps. Uh, that's usually the way that Bibles use to point out the fact that they are, that, that is the, that's the God word in the Old Testament. That's Yahweh happening right there um, in the original language. So, you know, if you, if you translate that way, you go, Yahweh said to my Lord. Uh, the second, my Lord, the Lord there, is talking about the Messiah. Widely recognized at the time of Jesus that that was the fact of this. So immediately we see that the Messiah is greater than David and therefore is not just the son of David. This is, this is a big claim that Jesus is making about himself. He's basically saying that he is greater than the greatest figure that Israelite history had ever produced. But if we think that that is all that he's claiming, then we're still missing the point. Jesus intentionally chooses this psalm, Psalm 110, because it reveals two really important aspects, I think, about who he is, about who the Christ is. First, it reveals that the Christ is the great king. This is, this is at the forefront of Jesus' claim here, right? The term that David uses there for my Lord has explicitly kingly connotations. They're, it's a royal term. And he goes on in that psalm. If you read Psalm 110, or you heard it before, he talks about the rule of the Messiah. He talks about his scepter, his mighty scepter going forth. You know, who holds a scepter? I don't hold scepters. Kings hold scepters. It's royal language. And so first, this is a claim to kingship, but a kingship that exceeds the kingship of David. And when we put this alongside the ministry of Jesus, we see that his rule is different to that of David and greater than that of David. The role of the Old Testament king, if you boil it down, was to represent the rule of God to his people. Jesus would do this more greatly than any king had ever done before him, but not by the taking of an earthly throne, but of a heavenly throne. 
When Jesus died and rose, he took up the mantle that belonged to him, King of kings and Lord of lords. The second last verse of, of Mark's gospel explains this to us. It says, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. When he ascended, Jesus took up his reign over creation. Right now, what that means is Jesus is king. Not just over Israel, not just over one people, but over all of creation. And as God's king, he brings the rule of God to God's people everywhere. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and by his blood, Jesus is active in the saving of people into the kingdom of God and in transforming them, transforming us now from sin and brokenness into holiness, into his own likeness. It's a reality for us to ever remind ourselves of, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, it can, uh, it can still be easy to feel outnumbered in this world, to feel defeated by the power of this world, but we have a king we have a king who has won the right to rule by his blood and by his resurrection and by his ascension to the right hand of the Father and who is ruling right now over our lives, right here, who has graciously brought us into the family of God, who chose us before the foundation of the world, the reality of the reign of Jesus is such good news for those who believe in him. But that's not all that I think Jesus is trying to get up at here. Uh, remember those, the, the people that Jesus is critiquing, uh, primarily those who are in view are the scribes. We get that because the last two verses before this are the scribes saying to Jesus, you've spoken well. And then it says, and Jesus said to them, uh, so he's critiquing these experts in the Old Testament. Which means that as he quoted Psalm 110 to them, they wouldn't have just had the one verse in mind, right? They would have had the whole slate. The whole text would have come to their minds. And although Psalm 110 opens with the declaration that the Messiah is king, even over David, that's not the full extent of what it claims. I want to point us towards one more thing that Psalm 110 tells us about this Messiah. It also claims that the Messiah, um, in, in verse 4 of, of Psalm 110, it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Those are a little bit foreign words if you're not used to them. Melchizedek is this fascinating Old Testament character. I got really into Melchizedek for a while, trying to figure out what he was about, and, and it's not as hard as I made it out to be. Um, he, he's, he only appears once, right? Uh, as Abraham, the great father of Israel, uh, gives him an offering uh, after a victory. Um, but what's fascinating is that he's the only person in the entirety of the Old Testament uh, who is explicitly a king and a priest. He's the king of a city, and he is a great high priest as well, prior to the Israelite, the Levitical priesthood, um, by hundreds of years. Uh, for Israel, that was a forbidden combination for their kings, explicitly so. They were not allowed to be priests and kings. There were punishments for kings who did priestly roles. Remember Saul, if you will, in the Old Testament, who offered a sacrifice and lost his kingship 
over that fact and, and over the heart. But the Messiah is going to be both, this is saying. And the difference between a king and a priest is that while the king is to represent the rule of God to the people, the priest represents the people before God. Don't know why I'm pointing at me there. I should be pointing that way. The priest's work has, was to, uh, in the Old Testament, was to offer sacrifices to make the people acceptable to God. And once again, Jesus exceeds the Old Testament vision of the priesthood. While the Old Testament priests offered sacrifices year in, year out for the sins of the people, sacrifices that never lasted, sacrifices that were never enough, Jesus, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, would offer himself as a sacrifice once and for all, a lasting sacrifice for his people to bring us back to God. Now, when he died on the cross, he dealt with our sin and so with our separation from God once and for all. First Peter 3.18, I love this verse, says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, whilst the Jewish leaders expected a Messiah who would save them from Rome, Jesus, the true Messiah, the great priest king, came to save all of God's children from their sin by giving his own life as an offering for us. But although his sacrifice is sufficient for us forever, that's not actually the full extent of Jesus' priestly role. His priestly role continues today, is the teaching of the New Testament. Now, 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Mediator. Romans 8.34 asks the question, who is to condemn? And then answers it, sorry, it also asks, who can condemn God's people? And, 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 and the answer that we get, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's active in the here and now. Hello, Ellie. 1 John 2.1 uh, tells us that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The church doesn't always talk about this that much. It doesn't get a lot of airtime. But Jesus, right now and forever is the mediator, the intercessor, the advocate for the people of God before God. Right now, lovingly speaking on your behalf in the Father's presence. His work is sufficient in the past. His, his cross is sufficient to save us for our sins. And in right here and now, he is speaking of it ever before the Father in context of your actions and your life and your heart. You know, a mediator acts to bring us together with God. Let me just give a few definitions here. An intercessor represents us before God and ever points to the reason why we are to be accepted. And I think uh, a fellow named Dane Ortland. if you want a good book to read this year, make, make this a good book to read this year. Uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Crystal gave it to me as a present. Um, it's, it's a cracker. But he hit the nail on the head when he wrote that an advocate doesn't simply stand between two parties but steps over and joins one party as he approaches the other. Jesus, our great high priest, 
brings us together with the Father. He ever makes our case before the Father uh, by showing not that we are worthy on our own account, but that we are worthy because of the price that he has paid for us. And he even steps over and identifies with you, with me, as he represents us before God, having carried all of our sin, all of our brokenness, he's able to do that. And being the perfect son of God, he's able to do it effectively. So what is the fact that Jesus is great high priest and the great king mean for us? Now, we've talked a bit about it, right? I just want to pan out a few of these implications. In, in the here and now, it means that we can have confidence. We need not be crushed by our own sin or by the weight of a world that might not like Jesus. He is king, reigning over all, and he is priest, having dealt with our sin. It can be so easy for us to feel defeated, can't it? Especially by our own brokenness and sin. Um, you know, in our, in our afflu affluent nation, maybe we get defeated by the apathy of the people around us but we also feel defeated sometimes by our own brokenness, by, our, by the lengths of time it takes to transform us and the one step forward and the two steps back sort of dynamic. You know, these are realities that I run into. I'm sure you've felt the same. When it seems like your own brokenness is just too much. But we have a king who is reigning and nothing that we can do can stop that fact. And a priest who saves. We need to remind ourselves and each other of these facts. This is one of the reasons we have gospel communities, by the by. It's such a regular need of ours because we slip back into believing that maybe my sin in some way could have defeated God's grace. It's daft when you say it out loud, isn't it? Jesus is our priest. His sacrifice is enough. And he speaks lovingly for me, even right now. My sin will never win out against his grace because of who he is. I may feel defeated. In the end, Jesus wins. And his victory means grace for me. It means change for me. And it will mean victory for me in the end. It also means that we live with an undefeatable hope. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to come and to set up a military kingdom, remember, in this world. But Jesus' work as, as king and priest in the end will result in more, not less than that. They wanted a return to the glory of David, but Jesus came to bring a glory that exceeds the glory of Eden. Jesus, our king, in his righteous reign, is going to return, the Bible's told us. And when he does, he will bring a new heavens and a new earth. His rule guarantees it. The mighty work of our king and saving work of our priest will reach their climax as we are finally delivered from the presence of sin in this world into the presence fully and unabatedly of our God. So we can live with hope. We need not be crushed. 
because our king is reigning and our priest is saving. And so we will be with him in a world made perfect. Let's take some time to thank him for it. We've done open prayer once in the service already. But if you want to call out and praise towards God, let's, let's take a minute um, and praise our great king and priest for his work for us. Jesus, we stand in wonder at the reign of our king. That you not become distant from us but that you are in heaven reigning over all of creation and reigning in our lives by your spirit right now so we praise you and we thank